Amen. Thank you so much for letting us honor you. This is a time of year when we get a nice, not everyone, but many of us get a three-day weekend. It's a time of year where you start talking about vacations. You start talking about getting away with family. And in our home, the Matthews home, we, we aim to try to get away for a beach weekend in the summer. We talked about it all uh, twenty. Uh, 13 and part of 14, and last summer we had really a nice getaway uh, on the beach. We envisioned uh, exercise, we envisioned Italian and Mexican food with, with, uh, after the exercise uh, with little dishes involved. We envisioned um, fire pits on the beach, which we got to have. We envisioned uh, reading and uh, just being together as a family. Maybe you have the same kind of vision. Uh, for your family, to be able to get away. Maybe you're thinking, actually, winter Tahoe. Maybe you're planning ahead now, trying to save financially so you can get away and maybe uh, accept the timeshare that's been offered to you or rent a cabin, do a little skiing or snowboarding, uh, or maybe just go out and, you know, uh, overcome your children with snowballs, show them that you really are a better aim than they are, and spend the weekend together around... Uh, board games, and maybe even perhaps get uh, snowed in. That's always our dream. Is it not yours? To get snowed in in Tahoe and have to call to work and say, it is unsafe. They've shut down the interstate. I won't be until February 1. Please forgive me. Uh, I mean, at least we have those kind of thoughts. And yet, for some reason, in our home, there's something about that two-hour time frame right before we leave for vacation where triggers are pulled, hot buttons are pushed, and things get real sensitive in the home. Uh, Sometimes words are exchanged that just kind of like, woo, are you sure you want to go there right now? Are you for for real? Are those gloves I see on your hands? Uh, Sometimes in our home, I've heard things like, I've heard or said things like, you're, you're going to make me drive that car on vacation? We're, we're taking that car? We had a chance to buy a new car this year. We didn't take it, did we? Uh, no, ma'am. Uh, uh, or, or, you know, if, if, uh, if, if we weren't, you know, going to vacation with your whole family, this might really be an exciting trip for everyone. Okay? Yeah, I got that one. Yeah, a little late for that one. We're a couple hours away from having to be there. Or, or how about this one? Uh, you, know, you know, if that Christmas bonus had come in like you told me it was going to, we might be flying on this trip. Yeah. Which the best comebacker for that one is, you know, if you didn't spend so much money on your hair, we'd be flying a Learjet. <laughs> no, don't use that one. Just kidding. Uh, but, you know, things get sensitive when you start, and especially you're tired, you've been working really hard. You get sensitive. You say things you regret. You hear things you regret. And sometimes something is said that might really bug you. I shared this with the last service. I'll share it with this one. We have something that is shared sometimes in my home that bugs me. And the family knows it. But one decision I've made as a pastor is I don't do weddings unless a couple has gone through premarital counseling. I just think very highly of, of that moment for a couple. And it's not a... It's not something I'll do just casually. It's something I really want a couple to really think through. It's such a huge decision. And so I get offered to do weddings frequently, but I decline them because, or they opt out because of my requirement. 
And sometimes I have been treated very lavishly when I've done weddings in the past. And um, when I didn't have this criteria that I've had for about the last 10 years. And sometimes my family will say, you know, when our vacation, you know, we're counting pennies and, and not really, but we're counting dollars and making certain we stay in budget. You know, if you did a couple weddings, a couple more weddings, we might be living large right now. And I'm not kidding. It comes up every vacation like, ah, oh, if you only did weddings. And I have done some weddings where my family's thought, you know, you could do, you could probably do some big weddings and charge a lot. I wouldn't charge too much, a grand. Uh, but, uh, you know, it would just be, so that's kind of like for me. It just, it pops me. It's like, it, it unravels me. Well, you know, if you did a wedding, we might really be eating. We might not be at Wendy's tonight. Uh, and do you, have, do you have little triggers for you, maybe related to vacation, where, you know, uh, you, you get sensitive? You, and some of you might be thinking, I haven't been on a vacation in a while. I'm sensitive already. I'm ready to leave the service. Uh, we get sensitive. Vacation can be just one topic under which we can be sensitive. This morning, I'm going to broach this subject of transformation in our series, Transformed, the subject of emotional health. And I, I want to suggest that there are a lot of different ways to be emotionally healthy, a lot of different ways. Um, I think there's five clear ones. Um, I'm going to talk about one that I think is, that just sticks out in the Bible very loudly and can really help you in all your relationships to be emotionally healthy. Now, you might think to yourself, okay, had I known this message was about, about emotions on Memorial Day weekend, I would not be here. But let me encourage you. Emotional health has been discovered by modern science to be actually a higher predictor of success than IQ. Have you heard that? Daniel Coleman came out with a book in the mid-90s. Um, called intelligence, rather emotional intelligence. And what he unwrapped uh, through his study was that emotional intelligence was a higher predictor of success than, than, than intellect uh, quotient. And so being uh, someone that he describes as, as emotionally intelligent is someone who's empathetic, compassionate, um, sensitive to the people he's around, um, he's self-motivated. Uh, this kind of emotional um, capacity, if channeled and if tamed, can really work in your favor. And so as we talk about emotions, I want to tell you that I, I come to them not as a, like a stoic who would teach that, you know, your emotions are, are to be rejected. But I'm not an Epicurean where I would just... Say, oh, yeah, just follow your emotions all the time. I, I don't think it's, it's either or. It's both and. And modern science has also unwrapped that uh, whereas we would view the emotions being derived from the heart, the chest area, they actually, of course, have their origin in the circuitry of the brain. There is an intellectual side of your brain and a very emotional side of your brain. And we're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so... I want to see us uh, be able to control our thought life and control our emotions. And I think there's a way to do that that we rarely ever hear talked about. There is a way to control your emotions that we rarely ever hear talked about. And 
I'll tell you, it is in James chapter 3, verse 6. If you have your Bible, check this verse out. James was a brother of Jesus, so he got to have lots of meals with Jesus. He got to see Jesus when, uh, you know, things were good and um, home life was tranquil. He got to see Jesus when things were tough, and he was persuaded to make Jesus the leader of his life. He makes this statement about your emotions that is pretty powerful. He says, the tongue is also a fire. It's a flame. It's always on. The tongue is a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, the tongue. It sets the whole course of his life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. <laughs> Boy, you, you want to insult somebody? Yeah, they, they unleash a bunch of pejoratives. You're like, wow, sounds like hell to me, bro. Really? I mean, the, he, James is saying here that the tongue has this capacity to set the course of your life. The tongue has the capacity to set the course of your life. And what I want to show you today is that the words you use determine the path you choose. The words that you use in privacy, with your family, with your coworkers, the words you use, like James said here, they, they determine the course you choose, your words. And I'll get to the passage at the end of my message. I'll, I'll say it again. Jesus said it in a little different way. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the emotions, the mouth speaketh. And so what I want to argue today is that if you want to get more control over your anger, more control over your, um, your jealousy, your envy, and you want to see those vices be tamed and rechanneled into faith, hope, and love. It actually begins with your tongue, controlling your tongue. I've seen some incredible examples of people controlling their tongue, even in our church. One time, one of my friends, I'll never forget it, he, he was about to say something that I could sense he was struggling to say, and instead he walked away. And I thought, dude, what an example. Having that ability to understand that what you say affects this, it gets you hot, is, is really a key example. I think if you're, a, if you're a Los Angeles Dodger fan this morning, do we have any Dodger fans in the house? A few of them, okay. I'm going to be gentle, okay, Cause I, but not too gentle. Tough week. All right, let's go to Luke chapter 7. <clears throat> But you talk about things, it, it brings it out of you, doesn't it? And so you got to be selective about what you talk about. Luke chapter 7, you're going to see an example of, a, of a, a guy who is a leader in the Roman army. He leads 100 men. He's a problem solver. He's not afraid. He'll, he'll address issues head on. He, this guy's a man's man. Okay? Um, he, he, he's tough. And yet he's got something he's dealing with that, 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 that's got him stuck. How do you, how do you deal with 
How do you get free of emotions that make you feel stuck? I've seen folks, I've, I've counseled folks from all social economic backgrounds, from all educational backgrounds that are stuck. They're stuck in, in an area, something that happened that it's hard for them to get through. And it, it bugs them. It sticks with them. It's that, it's that unwillingness to, to, to let something go that I want to talk about. Luke chapter 7, Luke was a physician that joined Paul's missionary team. And he took copious eyewitness notes about Jesus' healings. Here's one of them he captures. Here it is. When Jesus had finished saying all of this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion servant whom his master valued highly was sick and about to die. The centurion, that's a Roman soldier over a hundred, heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him. And these elders oversaw the synagogue, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus on his behalf, they pled earnestly with Jesus. They said, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and he has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. And so these elders who oversee the church there in Capernaum, Capernaum was a small beachhead on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. It's where Peter was raised, not far from where Jesus was raised, a couple, a few days walk. And there's this Roman leader who actually helped build the synagogue. Now, he may have been able to participate. I don't actually know. He was a non-Hebrew. He, the law actually provides opportunity for him to participate, but he helped finance the synagogue. He was very generous, and yet he has a problem. One of his employees, someone who's dear to him, is on, the, uh, on death's door, and he wants to see this addressed. This is a problem he can't solve. This is a critical moment for him, and it wrecks him. This is not just a commodity for him. This is a person. People matter to him. And he's heartbroken over losing this, uh, this worker. And I, I tell you, does your heart ever just wreck for people you work with? Does your heart ever just get torn up for people? You want to, that's, that's emotional intelligence. And this guy has it. And so these elders go on and they, uh, they are more than willing to approach Jesus for him. And the scripture says that he was not, uh, he was not far from the house, that is Jesus, when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him and turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. You read this narrative and you figure out Jesus and this centurion never meet. Because while he's at home with his friends... The right words come to mind. The right words. 
You know, when you're going through difficulties, the temptation is to withdraw. And yet this guy models something that is so, um, so not typical. He instead reaches out to connect. He connects with the elders. He has them go to Jesus. He connects with his friends. They're in his home. And, you know, the truth is, when you're experiencing hurt, the temptation is to ignore it. But we forget that our stomach keeps score. We want to ignore it, act like it didn't hurt. Kind of like in Monty, Monty, Monty Python. It's a flesh wound. We just move on. And yet, our stomach keeps score. Our bodies are impacted. And this guy does what we, we should all do. He connects with a few friends. He connects with the elders. This guy, this guy's, you know, he, he's not your, you can't be at that level and be a centurion and be, a, be emotionally unpredictable. What's predictable about this guy is his dependence on others. And I want to tell you that, that that's a critical piece for you when you're going through a difficult time. Because it's through relationships that you're going to have an accurate perspective of what's been happening. And you're going to get the right words. Think about this. He's with his friends and his, his elders are telling Jesus, Hey, you've got to come heal this guy's servant. He deserves you because he, he built our synagogue. He financed that. He, he loves our nation. By the way, we should always love and prize the nation of Israel. I want to say that. And he, uh, he deserves you. And somehow in the conversation in his home with his friends, he's like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. They're telling him, perhaps, do you know who Jesus is? He's not just your normal rabbi. They say he's the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. If you really study his origin, he is God in the flesh. And maybe it just started to really get to him. He's like, oh, my word. What, it, what are the, I, I don't want him here. And so he sends his friends off with the right words. The right words. And what are the right words? Hey, I'm not worthy for you to come under the roof of my house. You just say the word. Just say the word. You know what I notice? The right words don't come in the morning. You ever wake up and are like, You've got the right words to respond to that email, you think? Oh, this is what I'm going to say. Ooh, new, 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 new. You wake up. You wake up to that text. You're like, oh, I got the right words for them this morning. First response, you know. That ends up being a very long week. Have you noticed? The right words are often delayed. And so he's in his home, and the right words come to mind. Go tell Jesus, just say the word. You just say the word. And what does Jesus do? He marvels. He marvels at this guy's understanding. This guy got it, that Jesus had authority. He didn't need to be there. He could have his servant healed by just saying the word. Let me say this. You may be facing a circumstance, a tragedy, an uncertainty, that could could be an opportunity for you to have emotional healing. 
by simply just saying to Jesus, Jesus, you just say the word. I trust your authority. You say the word, I'll do what you want. And mean it. Maybe you're not a Christian today. Being a Christian means placing yourself under the authority of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Trusting that what he suffered on that cross was for you as a substitutionary death. Maybe today your prayer is, Jesus, say the word. I'll trust you. I've been, this week, pretty moved by the testimony of Chelsea Sullenberger. This is that incredible commercial pilot who's also a war veteran who landed his plane and saved 150-plus lives in the Potomac. His post-traumatic, post-stress, forget that. I can't do that right now. Thank you, Jackson, for that beautiful laugh. I want you to hear his testimony. And on January 15, 2009, Flight 1549, leaving New York's LaGuardia Airport, heading for Charlotte, we suddenly encountered a large flock of large birds, Canada geese, that weighed 10 or 12 pounds with 5-foot or 6-foot wingspans. We struck them. They entered the center of the core of both jet engines, damaging them, it turns out, irreparably. The sudden loss of thrust was shocking. The startle factor was huge, and we began looking for a place to land over Manhattan, one of the most heavily developed areas on the planet. It turned out we could not glide as far as a runway, and that the only option, the only place long enough, wide enough, smooth enough to attempt landing a large jet airliner was the Hudson River, and we were glad to have that option. We made an emergency water landing, and fortunately all 155 people, passengers and crew, survived. I asked our pilots' union to send their critical incident response team, our peers trained in PTSD, to come talk to our pilots and flight attendants on this flight. They told us that we were going to experience distracted thinking, an inability to sleep, the inability to shut our brains off. We'd have constant what-ifing and second-guessing, especially late at night. That first night, I slept perhaps 45 minutes an hour. I just couldn't sleep anymore. The next day, I would try to read a newspaper or a magazine, end up rereading the same sentence five times and finally giving up. I I just couldn't concentrate. I couldn't focus. My mind would keep going back to that moment and flashbacks, reliving it. I'd lost 13 pounds. My wife was shocked by my appearance. My, My skin looked white. My eyes looked sunken in as if I'd been starved. And my body was using itself up and because of this stress. The loss of sleep lasted for weeks. And finally, after about two or three months, after months of talking about it and actually writing about it, which was very cathartic, which helped me a lot to process this, I began to more effectively deal with it. But, you know, people are resilient. And we can learn new ways of coping with things that are very difficult. I did seek professional help. I talked to a therapist, uh, and that was useful also. I can't give enough credit to our peers who are trained in critical incident response. It really helped to know what to expect. You know, I specifically asked for a roadmap, and they gave us a very accurate one. And knowing what was coming and saying, ah, this is what they said was going to happen, and here it is, I finally realized I didn't have to carry this burden myself, that I could let go of it, I could share it, and that would be okay. By talking about this experience, by writing about it, I was able to desensitize myself to it, to make it less powerful over me, make it less painful for me. I gave myself permission to forgive myself for not being perfect and for performing as well as I could under the circumstances. 
it's very important to stay connected. It's important for you to know that you're not the only one having these thoughts. You're not the only one feeling this way. You're not the only one having these experiences. If you stay in touch with your brothers and sisters from military service, you realize that you're one of many and you can get help just by hearing their stories and how they might relate to you. My advice is very simple to any veteran, to anybody who's been through a traumatic experience, whether it's combat or something in civilian life, is love your family enough, respect them enough to tell them the truth about what you feel. Get the help that you need and your family deserves. Love it. The, the idea of sharing your hurts with, uh, with a confidant, with God, being honest with yourself uh, is, is critical. I think sometimes we're too hard on ourselves. I think we forget that the scriptures teach us. Uh, John wrote that we are loved. We are loved. We forget that. Uh, Paul, one of Jesus' co-workers, wrote that we are adopted children. Um, and uh, Paul also wrote uh, to the church at Rome that we always have hope, and our hope is abounding more and more. Sometimes we can be so hard on ourselves, so critical, that it, it's just overwhelming to us. And I, today, I want to challenge you to start to deal with any, any emotional uh, need for transformation by, by using words that um, will really determine your future course. Start watching your vocabulary. Watch what you say about yourself. Watch what, you, watch what and what you say about others. Um, watch how you communicate with God. And your words should be words of faith, not despair. Your words should be words of, of love, not criticism. Your words should be words of hope, not, you know, worst-case scenario. You want to have words that, and use words that determine the, uh, the course of your life. Positive words. And I think it will really help your, uh, your emotional framework. Jesus said it best. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And there's nothing like having control over this most difficult muscle, your tongue. When you can start to control it, you can have great family vacations. You can enjoy family life. Imagine your own home being a place where words of faith, hope, and love are prioritized. Imagine being at a workplace where your employees or even your supervisor knows that you are always speaking kindness, words of hope, words of, of love, and uh, words of faith around the workplace. Imagine how it would affect all your relationships if you became someone that was very self-controlled at controlling your tongue. I think what you'd see is that you'd start to get unstuck from things that have bugged you in the past because you don't talk about them like you used to. You just don't. You know they're there, but you don't need to talk about them. And you start to get to where you get tough. That's what I want to see happen in your life. Maybe your prayer today is that prayer that the centurion prayed. Just say the word. Lord, you just say the word, and I will trust you with my circumstance. Is that your prayer? Do you have a circumstance that necessitates that kind of prayer? 
Lord, I trust you. You just say the word. I'll follow you. Maybe that's your prayer today. Let me lead you in it. May I? Heavenly Father, thank you for a chance to see that words matter, people matter, hurts matter. Our stomach keeps score when we're not honest with you. And we come to you today thankful, but always aware that our words, the words we use, determine the course we choose. Please help us control our speech. Help us be people who love you with all of our mind and all of our heart. And if you're here today and that's your prayer is just to ask Jesus to be the authority in your life, the leader, maybe over a particular situation, I challenge you right from where you're seated to simply say those words that were the right words. Lord, you just say the word. Lord, you pray that prayer. Lord, you just say the word. I trust you to lead. How's the Holy Spirit speaking to you today? Is there someone you need to talk to? Is there an apology you need to make? Maybe that apology is to God for being so self-critical. How's the Holy Spirit prompting you to control your emotions? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. The tongue can be a flame of fire, but it can also set the course of our lives towards good. How does the Spirit of Jesus want you to control your tongue so you can control your heart? Amen. Good morning. I'm Rick Hutchinson. This is the time in our service when we celebrate communion to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us so that we could be free. And as Scott said, it's also Memorial Day weekend when we remember the sacrifice that was made by many others so that we could enjoy the freedoms that this nation offers. When I found out that I was going to be speaking to y'all on Memorial Day weekend, I thought of the 12th and 13th verses in the 